Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour. Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite, looking at and through the lens of yoga, this way of spiritual awakening, philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in our world today. And we're going to be looking at uh, meditation today, and in particular, how meditation changes our brain. Decades ago, Paramahansa Yogananda taught that the practice of meditation positively influenced the brain and made changes in it, as well as the mind. And now science, of course, is showing us what this meditation master knew from his own experience before there were any kind of instruments to measure such things. Neuroscience research today has shown many differences in the brains of long-term meditators. So we're going to look at what that really means uh, in a practical sense uh, for us. If you have a meditation practice, I hope it will encourage you to deepen and strengthen your practice. And if you're new to meditation, I think what you'll hear um, will encourage you to begin. I'm joined today by Marty Watke. And uh, Marty is a board-certified uh, Person, uh, practitioner in neurofeedback. He's the founder and clinical director of Neurotherapy Centers internationally, International and the Watke Institute of Neurotherapy. Uh, with over 30 years of research and application of the yogic science of consciousness and meditation, Marty Watke combines the wisdom and methods of the ancient traditions of yoga with advanced technologies of today to help people access the the healer, the divine self within with a consciousness oriented approach to healing. Um, so I want to just say up front his website so you can find out more because I know you're going to want to do that. So that's whatkeyinstitute.com, W-U-T-T-K-E, Institute, W-U-T-T-K-E, Institute.com. Welcome, Marty. I'm delighted to welcome you, you back to Yoga Hour today. And um, so before we dive into this conversation about how meditation uh, influences and actually changes our brain, let's take a moment to practice a little bit of it. In this moment, let us consciously decide to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite by simply 
becoming present in this moment. Meaning we let go of thinking about the past, planning for the future, and just drop in to the here and now. And the best tool that we have for that, the most accessible tool, is our own breath. So simply become aware of your breathing. Feel the breath coming in. You can feel the breath in your nostrils. Feel that cool air as it comes in. Feel it touching the back of your throat. Filling your lungs, your abdomen. And then as you breathe out again, feel the air coming out warmer. And with each breath like that, just consciously noticing the sensation of your breath, Connect that awareness of the sensation of your breath to your intention to dive within the infinite ocean of divine consciousness that is within us, it is around us, the shimmering awareness of God. How beautiful it is in any moment to become aware of what a calming influence it is to simply go with the flow of the breath consciously and to intend to get out of the past, to get out of the future, to come into the fullness of this moment. And whenever we do that, we notice our thoughts beginning to settle. You can feel the heart, the center of our being, opening and expanding. And when we do that, really letting the mind sink into the heart, into the center of our being, into our essence. Letting go, letting go of identifying with all the changes in the body and the mind. Consciously taking our place as the witness, the seer, the observer, the unchanging self. And peace begins to pervade the body and the mind. So wherever we are in just a moment of meditation, does this. What a beautiful way to pause and to begin. So let us consciously now agree to gather up this peace within us and take it with us wherever we go. And let it provide a space now on Yoga Hour this morning for deep listening. But what we hear may positively inspire us. Namardi, our, uh, our guru, Roy Eugene Davis, has written in his book, Seven Lessons in Conscious Living. He wrote, although the primary purpose of meditation should be to nurture spiritual growth, um, several side benefits will result. And then he lists them, you know, ordering and calming of our mental processes and emotions, alertness and higher energy levels, improved powers of concentration and of intellectual 
ability. So, you know, it doesn't take too long with a dedicated meditation practice to begin to notice those kinds of benefits. You know, we begin to feel more peaceful, more awake, more aware. We have better, better ability to concentrate and, uh, and so forth. Um, but now this, uh, whole field that you're in of neurotherapy, um, neuroscience looking at what is actually going on for us in, uh, in the brain and it's fascinating and it's affirming and inspiring for meditators but you've been doing this work for a long time so can you just take a moment and tell our listeners this morning you know how how did this come about for you how did you get involved uh, in this Okay, um, I'll give you an abbreviated version, okay? <laughs> because okay. It's a long, long story, but um, I moved to Georgia from New York. And, uh, and the reason I moved to Georgia, I thought at the time, was to attend um, Life Chiropractic University. Um, and one day, one of my classmates there introduced me to Roy Eugene Davis at a workshop. And I had sort of that intro. Uh, you know, instant experience. I knew that he was my guru. I knew that he was my teacher. And to make a long story short, within about a year or two, um, I moved up there to live and work at Center for Spiritual Awareness. Um, and I did a, a, you know, sort of a, a nice intensive um, semi-monastic training at that time, um, living and working and being able to have interaction with Roy frequently. Uh, what happened was, though, I, I was really being pushed and driven towards a, using what I was learning and somehow applying it in a, um, you know, in a in a in a more uh, um, service oriented way. So there just happened to be a local hospital there called Woodridge Hospital. It's no longer in existence, but this was around the early '80s, early to mid '80s, and I went there uh, just to. Um, volunteer to teach meditation. It was a treatment center, so largely the the patients there were um, chemically dependent or alcohol dependent. Um, there was also some uh, psychiatric issues like depression, anxiety, um, eating disorders, and you know a, a milieu of different types of issues. And it was a 34 bed hospital, and the staff there was very open to me coming there to teach meditation. So um, I volunteered, I believe, if I remember correctly, it was twice a week, and they would just give me a select group of the patients, I think about maybe a dozen at a time, and I would sit and I would just meditate with them as I had been taught by my guru, and, um, you know, just just like your introduction today, I'd have to leave out some some of the words about God and that sort of thing we had to keep <laughs> non-sectarian, <laughs> but breath, you know, largely breath. And what happened was this was a this was a treatment center that had a very well seasoned staff that were very savvy in addiction treatment had been around the the medical model for a long time. This was also around the time that um, John Kabat-Zinn and Jack Hanfield out in uh, you know in the in the um, East Coast uh, were also doing you know starting to bring mindfulness into different treatment arenas. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty new and um, we didn't have a lot of, a lot to go on as far as how do we do this? We just figured we'd just do it. So very quickly what started to happen was that the, the, um, the patients who were attending the meditations started to report to the medical staff, things like um, less cravings, uh, lower pain, lots of, relief from somatic issues like headaches, um, anxiety, gastrointestinal disturbances. They were sleeping better. Uh, many of them had post-traumatic stress disorder. So they were they found that they were able to work through those sorts of things. And I remember what happened. There was a, a female doctor there in her late 50s, I believe, and she had um, fractured vertebrae in her back and had... Uh, become addicted to pain medications and then eventually alcohol. So she was in there to detox. She was a good person. But it always in this chronic pain, she had real organic damage. And I think it was the second meditation, she had a rather profound experience. 
and her pain went down by about 80%. Mm-hmm. And then she being a physician and then telling the physician at that time who was the medical director of the hospital said, what is it you're doing? And he called me to have a meeting and I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, he said, you know, who are you and what are you doing here? And he knew Roy, he knew of Roy. And he said, would you consider, uh, you know, coming in and maybe working with us and for us and designing a program that could run alongside of our treatment program, sort of a stress management, meditation, relaxation. And this was in North Georgia. They were a little, um, you know, touchy about exactly what to call it again. They didn't want to challenge people. But the issue was that the clients or the patients, rather, who came to this hospital, it was a 30-day inpatient stay, they were not local. They came from all around the United States. Um, so we were, we were a fairly, fairly well-known hospital at that time. So what happened was um, we started to add meditation to their daily program every day before lunch. I would meditate with um, all of, the, all of the, uh, the inpatients, and many of the staff were invited as well. And it, it, it became quite evident that this was the key to their program. It sort of rounded out everything else that they were doing. And what happened was, though, I, I realized that as our, um, you know, as our profile started to go up higher and higher, um, that I needed to bring more uh, scientific credibility into the meditation process. Again, this was this is back in the early 80s. Even though that's not long ago, there wasn't that much information out then about meditation and what it does to the brain and body. But the TM people, the Transcendental Meditation people, had um, quite a bit of research. The Maharishi, you know, was well connected, so he um, he had some university studies, and uh, I began to look at at some of that material so I could see what the, some of the physiologic correlates of meditation were. And um, you know, there were basic things like a stress chemical reduction and lowered levels of muscle tension and blood pressure regulating and and that sort of thing. But what I found most fascinating then was there was uh, research on what's happening in the brain, and specifically in the early 80s, they were looking at brain waves. Mm-hmm. And they noticed that, um, you know, there was, a, there was no doubt changes that occur in the brain waves, and, and the brain waves, of course, are these, um, electrical signals that our brains are giving off all the time. Our brain's electrical activity is roughly the average brain about 20 watts, enough to light a little light bulb if we wanted to, with if we could harness that um, that electrical energy. So they were looking at this, and they did find um, correlates with meditators uh, that were different uh, from the normal population. And around that time, uh, I was looking into biofeedback because biofeedback is a very simple um, process of self-regulation. And self-regulation, in in a certain sense, is really what meditation is all about, starting Mm -hmm. with one level of self-regulation, you know, the body, then moving to the next level, maybe the mind, then the next level, maybe the emotion. So we're constantly self-regulating until sort of the discovery is that we are the self. So I, I realized that that was a good a preparatory tool for meditation just to teach people through biofeedback how to begin to regulate themselves without relying on some inter- external mm-hmm. source. Yeah, and I can see why that would be so powerful um, with people, you know, healing um, from addictions, you know, to be able to go from, um, you know, altering reality with some external um thing, you know, whether it's food or uh, drugs or alcohol or whatever. And, you know, as you've been uh, talking about this early experience that you had, you know, with people in recovery, it, it seems like, you know, what we're seeing and, and still we're even seeing it today where this, these discoveries that are happening about what happens to the brain, what happens to the body are coming, you know, really first through people's um, experiences, you know, People are, are getting better. Um, they're they're feeling uh, calmer, more peaceful. They can let go of dependency on medications, um, and then it's like science is trying to catch up and figure out, you know, why and how this works. 
So, you know, exactly. I, I was I was also thinking about, you know, in, in the 12-step recovery program and in, in all recovery programs that I'm aware of, for the most part, that, you know, the 12-step program is a core of that. And, of course, one of the steps is directs people to prayer and meditation. Um, but they don't teach people how to meditate. No. You know, so that's an interesting thing, you know, when, um, when we have that component of a wellness program, but it's really left, um, which I think is appropriate, you know, it's left to people to find out, you know, what their method is going to be. Um, but I can see how in that environment, um, you know, you were bringing in something that was there, um, but the technology of it was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how to meditate and then mm-hmm. experiencing, you know, what happens when you, uh, when you do. Um, so we're going to go to a break in, in just a moment now. And, uh, when we come back, I think we can talk, uh, I'd like to hear from you, you know, specifically more about what happens, uh, when we meditate. And, you know, you talked about the changes in a meditator's brain. Um, you know, we, we, if we're, if you're meditating, you know, you have that anecdotal, uh, experience of these changes. But, you know, what is actually going on in the, in the brain, um, of meditators? So, um, I think we're going to go to our break now and we'll be back with you in just a few minutes. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. If you've ever wondered how a specific Bible verse might be interpreted metaphysically, then Interpret This is for you. In Interpret This, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley answers your questions about the Bible and how to apply its verses to your life with passion, depth, and spiritual insight. To submit a question or to enjoy any of his numerous metaphysical interpretations, visit unity.org and click on the Interpret This box. Just like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Rev. Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. 
If you have a question, please submit it via email at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. Today I'm uh, speaking with Marty Wetke, who is the uh, founder and clinical director of Neurotherapy Centers International and the Wetke Institute of Neurotherapy. His website is Wetke, W-U-T-T-K-E Institute dot com. And um, before the break, we, we were talking about um, how, uh, Marty, how you got started in this, in this whole, um, field, really, you know, out of your own experience of meditation and wanting to share that and, um, finding out how it was, um, supportive of people in recovery. And, and, you know, I think, this is a lot of what we see with meditation in a way is kind of like backing into it. You know, we have, we meditate, um, you know, and people are drawn to meditations for, uh, for meditation for a lot of reasons, you know, a spiritual seeking, you know, sometimes just to, um, be able to slow down and, and get more calm. And, and today, you know, we find more and more that medical doctors are recommending medication, a meditation, um, for their, for their clients. You know, if they're dealing with a high blood pressure or, you know, other, uh, issues like that, they, they're actually sending them off to their own, um, programs in the medical community to learn how to meditate. And, um, I know for me, you know, when I started meditating and of course still today, you know, decades later, um, it, it wasn't that hard, you know, to observe changes. And, you know, that comes fairly soon. I mean, after I got beyond the initial experience of, whoa, I had no idea that my mind was that active. <laughs> just, you know, I was like, okay, you know, just, just go ahead and meditate. And then I sat down and it was like, wow, this chatter's going on all the time. And uh, so that was interesting. But, you know, thankfully, uh, also being taught, you know, by our Guru Roy Jean Davis, I, I learned how to meditate uh, effectively. I learned it was natural natural to us. Um, it's actually a natural state of our being, this meditative consciousness. And it's easy. You know, the main thing, of course, is to be regular in your practice. But, you know, what I was able to notice right away was that I became uh, more peaceful. I became calmer. And the main thing that I, you know, describe to people today is that, in a sense, you know, you can experience your own mental field becoming more illumined. And what I mean by that is that you can experience a sense of spaciousness. Um, you are able to observe your thoughts and your feelings arising um, instead of being caught in the midst of them and having uh, to just automatically react to them. A meditation brings you that quality of illumination and spaciousness where you, you actually can make a choice about uh, how you're going to respond. And, you know, this can pretty quickly, you know, begin to give you skills um, on how to make uh, better, uh, healthier choices in your life. So, Marty, tell us, what does that actually look like in the brain? How is it that, you know, we have that kind of shift that, is sort of slow, I would say sort of slows down or illumines the process that allows us to make better choices. Well, it has a lot to do with the way the different lobes of the brain interact. So when we meditate, and as you said, when you learn the uh, correct meditation procedures and um, really begin to learn how to focus your attention, uh, you see the frontal lobes begin to activate. And the frontal lobes are like the brain's CEO, the brain's director. So um, whereas at first you notice all the chatter that's going on in your brain, you realize that you can use your frontal lobes and through your frontal lobes your attention and your awareness to sort of take a step back and just watch the chatter. Um, eventually, you know, some people may start experiencing uh, some even deeper connections there because of the way the brain 
the intricate networks of the brain work, um, you know, you have connections with your limbic system, the, the parts of your brain that have to do with the fight or flight responses and the, some of the um, other, uh, you know, instinctive drives and so on. And you learn how to sort of separate from some of those reaction patterns that are just quite visceral. They just happen automatically. So, you know, the, and that's what the research is showing, uh, that in a relatively short period of time, I mean, there's some research that even shows in as little as 11 cumulative hours. Okay, that doesn't mean you sit there for 11 hours mm-hmm. and meditate. But maybe over a couple of weeks, if you can get 11 cumulative hours, and there are measurable changes in the frontal lobes that show that where what whatever it is that you intentionally do with your mind, um, you're, it is going to affect uh, the brain, and largely that's due to the, the principle of neuroplasticity, that the brain is plastic, and it is formed by our intentions, whether they're conscious or unconscious. So those, those pathways in the brain that have to do with quiet, with calming, with focus, with attention, um, are literally built when we practice exercises that, that literally build them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about the, um, you know, the work that Rick Hansen is doing today. You know, he's the, I'm sure you're familiar with Rick's work and mm-hmm. his book, that you know, the Buddha's brain, mm-hmm. and you know, just just looking at the the simple ways, the kinds of things that we can do um, to create um, different patterns. You know, for example, we seem to be predisposed out of, you know, some ancient programming um, to look for threat, right? Mm-hmm. And and if we keep on that, you know, it, it keeps us kind of in a heightened state of uh, stress. Um, but we can you know, and especially when you meditate and you realize you have a choice, right? Mm-hmm. That that's what meditation sort of opens that door for us. Then we can start to notice what is good, you know, what's pleasant, what's um, life affirming, and, <clears throat> and begin to strengthen those messages. And so, is is that also what you're talking about? Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, there's a there's a network in the brain called the default mode network. And it's it's autopilot. So when you're, you know, everybody experiences it uh, at one time or another. The best example I can think of is if you're driving down the highway and you're at exit 20 and then all of a sudden you're at exit 70 and you wonder what happened to those 50 exits in between. (laughs) Well, you're on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, and it's unfortunate in one sense, but in another sense, it's also uh, functional. It's, It's helping our brains to conserve energy so we don't have to think about every little thing that we do. And that includes our reaction patterns. So many of them, you know, we may have a lifetime, oh, I react to this situation or this person this way um, or that way. And it, you know, like you said, it may not be healthy. We have to pay attention. Is this really the appropriate uh, thing to do? And is this really serving uh, me or this other person or or whatever it is? So it takes a a little bit of um, attention and, and that's the key. Auto, the opposite of, of autopilot is creating attention, paying attention mm-hmm. to what's mm-hmm. going on around. And that's what meditation is really an exercise in. So breaking free from that autopilot mode and then moving out from the default, literally the default patterns that sort of are just triggered. Uh, they're just a triggered response. I respond to this, this way, this this way, this another way. And it's as you said, all of a sudden you realize that you have choice in many situations. You don't have to go that way. You can be um, observant. You can be quiet. You can be calm. The the nervous system does not have to be set off by a lot of these uh, patterns that have been so ingrained in the brain. What is what would you say the difference is between, and this may not be a fair question, but it just came to my mind, so I'm going to ask you, what would you say the difference is, you know, in, in the brain? And, I mean, I know we can tell what the difference is when we're feeling it between, you know, we're talking about uh, awareness and choice, but there's a difference between the expanded kind of awareness that comes with meditation and the hyper-alert Mm-hmm. Uh, awareness that you have, you know, when you're in that fight or uh, flight mechanism. Sure. So, what is that distinction? 
Well, it's, it, it is built by circumstances. So you, if somebody has experienced a, um, a trauma or a stressful situation, the brain will trigger certain uh, um, uh, structures and uh, functions to, you know, this is what post-traumatic stress disorder is in the most extreme case. So the brain will set up defense mechanisms to watch for those particular types of situations, people, places, or things that are potentially a threat. The problem is that they they just don't turn off. That this this hyper vigilance, as you say, um, you know, you, the, again, the example is um, extreme. Example is these guys coming home from uh, the battlefield, and you know, their brain and particularly these instinctive reactive parts of their brain don't know that they're safe now. Mm-hmm. And so they they maintain this hyper vigilance, this hyper awareness, mm-hmm. um, and it it and you can see it in the brain. There's mm-hmm. a, an excess. I mean, you can see when somebody's in a hyper arousal mode, the brain is in hyper alert, and there's parts. Um, there's a one particular area called the amygdala, and you'll see this in the temporal lobes too. We call it instability and hypervigilance, that the brain is on guard. And it seems that this happens, you know, in in a sense, in a more common way when people have, you know, say, childhood trauma of one kind or another. So that's probably, you know, more familiar um, to people. And, you know, what causes us, you know, as adults (laughs) to... To react um, in in situate you know in a relationship, for example, you know when when we are safe and we're adult and we can take care of ourselves, but there's these old feelings that arise. Sure. So, sure. and we see that every day. I mean, and it, and it usually causes problems. And you know, people wonder why they're having a problem in a relationship or something like that because it um it's sort of like an app running in the background. It's always draining energy and paying attention to what's going on around. Mm. So, so what the difference is, though, with more expansive awareness, is you see that the limbic system quiets down, like the you know we sometimes call it the mammal brain, and then the even deeper to the limbic system is the reptilian brain. But what happens with meditation over time is these parts of the brain begin to quiet down. The memories and the traumas don't disappear, but they are they're re, the pathways are reorganized so that they're not triggering reactive responses. It takes a little bit of time, but um, I'm, I mean, I've seen it over and over again for 30 years. Those, those, that hypervigilance can turn into a calm, expansive awareness, and the fear that's driving some of the, um, the hypervigilance eventually begins to dissipate. And these are, you know, they're all defense patterns. They're the brain just trying to protect us. Mm, mm. So you, and breath is the key. You know, it really is. Um, your your breath is the direct reflection of what's going on in your autonomic nervous system. That's, the again, the fight or flight or freeze uh, mechanisms. So by learning how to regulate the breath and smooth out the breathing pattern, you, you begin to essentially affect the autonomic nervous system and quiet down some of these reaction patterns that are just being set off unconsciously. And isn't it fascinating, Marty, you know, what the, what the Rishis knew about this, you know, just eons ago. And, you know, I, I began with, you know, how Paramahansa Yogananda, you know, said, you know, decades ago that meditation actually changes the brain. Um, but that was before, you know, it was being measured by, by any kind of instrument. And, um, so tell us, tell us a little bit more about this, um, if you can, the physiology of the breath, you know, because, you know, in meditation, breath uh, is often recommended as the way, you know, to simply become conscious of your breath. And then, of course, the practices of pranayama um, are tied to the breath. It's, it's like taking us, and you, you mentioned in the beginning of the program, the first segment, that really one of the things we're doing with meditation is learning how to self-regulate. And we're going, you know, from the physical um, to the mental um, and to the causal and spiritual levels of our being. So how does breath um, wor- really work with this? Uh, that's a long conversation, but I'll give you the, <laughs> the, the short version. Um, 
so mind and breath are just are just intimately connected. They're they're um, one is intimately connected with the other. It's almost like you can't separate the two. If you can slow your breath down, uh, because of um, you know some of the involuntary components of the breath and the brainstem, if you can slow your breath down, smooth it out, and use a breath rhythm, breathing rhythm that is in line with a quiet and calm autonomic nervous system, your mind is going to follow suit. It's going to begin to quiet and slow down at the same time. You know, and then there's, of course, something else called heart rate variability, which is um, an interesting mechanism that the body goes through as you inhale. Your um, heart rate speeds up a little bit so that the blood can get inside your lungs, and as you exhale, the um, pressure actually, uh, your heart rate goes down a little bit because the the pressure um, of the blood rises in your extremities and this is this the 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 measures are that the more variability you have in your heart rate uh, the more balanced your nervous system is so these these are all direct correlates Um, and then there's you know we can get into um, pranayama and why uh, that's so profound but just uh, just on a purely physical level the breath regulates the autonomic nervous system, and vice versa. Um, so, if if you can use your breath consciously, you can have a very quick uh, effect upon the autonomic nervous system. Mm, yeah, and 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 it's so simple that you know any time we can actually become aware of the breath and you know use it to um, help usher in uh, this meditative awareness and we can learn then you know this learning uh experiencing the calm from meditation can help us you know when we get into stressful situations and we notice that we're holding our breath (laughs) Mm -hmm. or you know the breath has really you know increased you know if we're Mm -hmm. we're upset um then you know we can see you know what we can do and of course pranayam you know is is a way to help us uh, regulate the breath and you know uh, this alternate nostril breathing you know is one of the most profound uh, methods of pranayama that we have and it's it's so easy and the effect of it is is you know pretty instantaneous and you know I often um, you know when I'm teaching it to people I say you know this is what you this is what you need in that staff meeting you know <laughs> that becomes stressful but but of course, you know, it would be odd, you know, to sit in a staff meeting and start um, holding, you know, your nostrils alternately. I don't know. I think they're doing it at Google now. <laughs> are they? They probably are. They probably are. Um, but, you know, I mean, that one, you know, is they can show just right, you know, just changing the... Oh, absolutely. It, it balances the left and right hemispheres, yeah. Exactly. And yeah. and that, that I'm, I'm sure, you, you can measure, right? What's yes, happening. Yes, yes. And here's an ancient yogic practice that is um, really designed to balance the hemispheres of the brain and to quiet the mind and... Um, you know, it then usher us into meditation, but it can surely be used for uh, stress reduction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've been working with this uh, for a long time now, Marty, and um, what have you seen in terms of, you know, what, what is, what's the cutting edge of what you're working with today in terms of how this can help people um Heal. I mean, besides the spiritual benefits of meditation and the stress reduction benefits of meditation, what are you seeing in terms of um, the healing potential of of actually changing the brain through meditation? Well, I mean, the, the implications are, are are enormous, really, because uh, you know, over the thirty years that I've been doing this, um, and and when I've worked with people clients and patients who have become diligent and really gotten into meditation. I, I mean, I, and, you know, again, 30 years, you're going to see some profound things happen. But, um, I, I, you know, I, I, people ask me that all the time, you know, how, how can, can this really heal this and heal that? And, and 
I usually shy away from that. Uh, nothing really heals anything, but when you access, and usually I'll call it the healer within or, or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, when you learn to access that, you you start to clear up whatever the obstacles are that's in the way of your healing um, or you experiencing your healed self, you know, again, depending upon the person. So I, I you know, it, it starts with calming and quieting down the body, harnessing the nervous system a little bit, um, then the thoughts gradually changing, um, and then the emotions beginning to settle and quiet. And when you see all that happen, all that lineup, um, you, you often see profound changes in people's lives um, and, and, you know, even beyond physical healing too. Um, but obviously a deepening of spiritual awareness and spiritual seeking. Mm-hmm. But I've seen, you know, I've seen people with severe autoimmune illnesses and um, brain injuries and um, addictions, depression, anxiety, um, just to name a few, really. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, you know, with meditation, sometimes it can be the, the, uh, the last-ditch effort. But as you say, it's starting to become the first effort mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. Which, is, which really I think is heading off a lot of potential suffering. Mm-hmm. So um, it's very nice to see it turn around like that. It really is, and I'm I'm excited about the work that's happening with children today. Mm-hmm. You know, in our schools, and then one on one, you know, one on one. You know, so many kids today are being diagnosed, you know, with attention deficit disorder, um, and th- these things that are, you know are very difficult uh, for mm-hmm. parents and schools to deal with. And sometimes, you know, depending on, on who it is, you know, the first recommendation is to put a child on, me- on medication, um, which has, you know, potentially a lot of side effects. And, um, you know, so instead of uh, going down that route immediately, um, there's this possibility of, of working with kids um, to show them, you know, how they can make changes in their ability um, to focus and be attentive. And, and I think you've been working with some kids as well is that is that true yeah i and there's big initiatives going on right now i have um i work with them but i also have some um a friend who's a buddhist lama and they're really making a lot of headway getting this into the school system at least on the east coast right now Mm -hmm. um you know there's certain school districts that uh that are much more open to it but just very simple guided practices you know, especially when you're working with a brain that young and that plastic, you can get effects very, very quickly. So um, it's a it's a wonderful thing when, just to see kids sitting and chanting Aum. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And, and we're finding, you know, we've got some programs going in the schools here in Northern mm-hmm. California. And um, we're finding that, that teachers um, are, are just... <laughs> You know, so grateful to have, you know, now what we're calling, of course, quiet time, right? To come into the classroom. Um, but it's not passive, you know, it's not passive quiet time. It's actually showing the children how to become quiet. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be sounding a bell and having them listen to the bell and, you know, when the sound of the bell disappears. But, you know, what we're doing is we're teaching them how to focus the mind and, you know, basically how to meditate. And, you know, we're finding incredible positive feedback mm-hmm. um, from the teachers uh, about the changes in, in the classrooms. And, um, and so I think it's coming into the schools, you know, probably in the same way that you saw it come into the recovery community um, because it works <laughs> and it's it's simple it's not going to be a new budget item for them <laughs> you know right, it's, right. and it's something that the teachers uh, can use for themselves you know to reduce their stress level so when we're working um, in the education system you know we start with teaching the teachers how to meditate um, so the teachers are not, we don't have teachers trying to, you know, give a benefit to children that they don't have. And so we're teaching the teachers, you know, how to reduce their stress and simple ways to do it um, through the breath, um, you know, through listening to a bell or whatever. And then they bring it into the classroom because they know it, it works um, for themselves. 
Well, so that that's a- excellent, and and um, I think that it also is applicable to all grade levels. So I'm, I'm hoping that we see that happen more and more now. Um, so yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, at at our center, of course, we, in the, in the youth uh, spiritual education program, we we do teach really young kids to meditate. And, uh, you know, and their parents bring them there, of course, so their parents come to services or to classes. But oftentimes we find, um, that the children, become the best uh, teachers and observers in the family. And it's kind of a kick, you know, because if the parents get overstressed, the children will actually come out and say, you know, Mommy, I think it would be a good idea if you would have a quiet time, you know, and meditate for a little while. <laughs> yeah, you need a time out, you know, and how about, you know, we, I think you've been missing your meditation. And um, so... That's really delightful, you know, to see it to see it working in families and to see, um, you know, children uh, becoming, uh, you know, the ones that that bring it up in a family. Um, I just, you know, when I was in India, I had the opportunity to visit uh, Esfiasa, the yoga university mm-hmm. there, and um, they just have a top-notch research lab, which I know you want to visit, and I'm going to tell you more about it at another time. But um, I had. Uh, a really wonderful conversation with one of their physicians there about they have um, an initiative, you know, that is to end diabetes. And um, so, uh, you know, we were talking about how it is, you know, when people do everything right, you know, I mean, there are changes sometimes that people need to make, you know, in their diet and their lifestyle, uh, you know, putting in exercise, putting in right diet, and so on and so forth. But they had they were working with people who had done all those things right mm-hmm. they were exercising they had changed their diet they were getting enough rest but the part that they hadn't done was to meditate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what they observed um in the change in the insulin levels you know sure. after somebody had done it all correctly in a sense outwardly at the physical level then making that change on the mental level that actually began to shift their insulin levels so right. i think you're going to see more and more of that kind of research i mean cuz that is directly um reflected in the autonomic nervous system the autonomic nervous system is what stores and dumps the glycogen levels in the liver so that's why that is meditation is crucial to get the insulin levels under control and isn't it fascinating now you know we're we're um we're so fortunate to be living in this time, you know, when we're, we're understanding that something like meditation, which is a simple, uh, key tool is helping us work at the level, at the blueprint level, right? Mm-hmm. You know, rather than when there's a disease, uh, blossoming, it's, it's further out, you know, at the physical level, but the origins, and the uh, really the the place where it can be turned around is at the mental level mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. of our being. So um, I'm going to give you the last word. We're, we got to have about one more minute here, and uh, it's just been a delight as always talking with you, Marty. And Thank I'm you. looking forward to seeing you at the upcoming Kriya Yoga Congress, and this will be March. Um, uh, 10 to 12, uh, it's 2016, if you're listening in uh, current time zone here in California, and you can find out more about it at csecenter.org. Marty will be one of our featured speakers there. That's March 10 to 12 um, in 2016 at in San Jose, California, csecenter.org. So, Marty, tell us what most inspires you about all of this. Well, one of the things I've been doing lately, uh, and you mentioned earlier, is I'm going back and reading some of the the more ancient texts mm-hmm. in yoga and yogic science. And there, if you read through some of the symbolism, you realize everything is pointing to um, the brain and the nervous system, and not to some enormous metaphysical reality. That that these are tools and techniques that were uh, tested and and realized by these seers. And we're now just rediscovering them. We're just, you know, learning how to use them and apply them. And and I'll share more of this when I come up there for the Congress. But um, they really pointed the way. They say quite clearly the gateways are in your brain. They call it the 
cranium. Mm. <laughs> so some very, very interesting uh, things that we're discovering that have already been written down. Now we're just trying to figure out how can we apply these. Yeah, it's like we, we have the, the code now. Yes, <laughs> we, the code, that's it. We can, uh-huh. we can unlock, and it is really exciting, and it's exciting um, to think about, you know, how we can live really fuller, healthier, um, happier lives um, by, by really, you know, becoming dedicated practitioners uh, on the path of meditation. Marty, thank you so much. Thank for you, thank you. With me this morning, I want to let our listeners know that that next week, uh, Marty, our guru, Roy Eugene Davis, will be back on the program, and he's going to be talking about um, his time with the yoga master, Paramahansa Yogananda, who uh, this morning, you know, I was mentioning, you know, who, who obviously knew about this and said, meditation changes your brain. So we'll be talking about Mr. Davis's time with Paramahansa Yogananda, how he learned from him and what that was like. The Yoga Hour is a service project of Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. And you can find out more about CSE, Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, by visiting us at csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour at iTunes. I look forward to being back with you next week. And until then, remember to let your inner light shine into the world. Share your peace and your joy with everyone you meet. Thank you to Jeff in uh, Sound Room at Unity Online Radio. And thanks to Vicki Martin and Dr. Laurel Trujillo uh, who support this program as well. And thank you again, Marty. We'll see you, you soon. You. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. www.csecenter.org Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Rev. Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Philosopher Plato said, The unexamined life is not worth living. In a world where it is paramount that we earn a living and provide for those who depend upon us, there seems to be little or no time for self-evaluation. Survival receives all our attention. Yet, when you pause and take a look at the little things in your daily experience, a richer you will be discovered. In knowing yourself, you develop a better understanding of others. In unity, we support the spiritual idea of knowing thyself. It's how we can all bring a healing, compassionate attitude to an ever-changing world. 
This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Every moment we live can be holy, and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so. Everything we do can be a prayer, and by using our innate creativity with intention, in every aspect of our lives, that can indeed be true. Author Carla Kincannon wrote, Creativity is so much more than art making. It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed you don't know where to turn. These days it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 